We're blessed. Well, we're talking about prayer, and uh, I'm just going to tell you some kind of, I like how the Lord says, unless you become like a child, you can't enter the kingdom. But let me just show you some childlike prayers real quick. Um, this is from Sunday school class. Um, I'm not sure not what age group, probably six-year-olds. Dear God, did you mean for the giraffe to look like that, or was it an accident? I love the authenticity. Dear God, who draws the lines around the countries? That's a pretty cool question. What does it mean you are a jealous God? I thought you had everything you needed. Dear God, thank you for my baby brother, but I prayed for a puppy. <laughs> Dear God, it rained for our whole vacation, and, and my father was mad. He said some things about you that people are not supposed to say. But I hope you will not hurt him in any way. You're a friend, but I'm not telling you my name. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, dear God, please send me a pony. I've never asked for anything before. You can look it up. Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It worked for me and my brother. Last one. Dear God, we read Thomas Edison made light, but in school they said you, but in school they said you did it. It must be a Sunday school. So I bet he stole your idea. Prayer. Prayer, prayer, prayer. My house. You, I told you two weeks ago I got rocked by a message uh, by Jim Cimbala that he preached several years ago. My house will be called a house of prayer. And uh, I became very, very convicted um, by the Holy Spirit about this for Northgate, but about this for me personally um, as a son of God. And we're talking about corporate prayer. Our messages, for the most part, is talking about us praying together. Um, but we understand that for us to grow in prayer, we also have to have our time with the Lord personally. It's like a wing, like an airplane. You need both. You need corporate prayer, and you need your individual prayer. And we want you to grow in your individual prayer. Matthew 6, 6 says, But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. Prayer connects my heart to the life of my Father. Another uh, name for Father is source. Did you know that the Father God is your source? He is our source for life. We have our being in him. And so we go to him, connect with his heart. And we have tools here that I, I, you know, I told you two weeks ago, I took a, a class. It was more coaching than a class on how to create a culture of prayer. And, um, and they have tools that I want to make you aware of. Something that I'm going through right now personally is called 21 Days of Deeper Prayer. And it's just short devotionals, about a page and a half, just talking about prayer, giving you an opportunity to grow in revelation of what prayer is. Um, 21 days of discipline, of just sitting before the Lord, say, make me a man of prayer, make me a woman of prayer, make me a child of prayer. Um, that's back there. These are each $7. That's our cost, so we're just, you know, we're not making money on it, by the way. Um, another one here is um, 21 days of breakthrough. You know, like you got a challenge. And man, we need a breakthrough over our business, or we, we need a breakthrough over this or that. This 21 days of breakthrough prayer is back there for individuals. 
old couples to pray together. But this, this is my famous, before I, my, one I'm most excited about, um, before I share this one, I want you to look at Matthew 28, or 18, 19, and 20. Famous common scripture we think about. Again, I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, what, a, what an incredible promise. It shall be given or done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together my name, I am there in their midst. Basically what he's saying is God's strength and power is attracted to where his kids agree for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. And uh, this is really a crazy thing. I know I've been a dad. Any, any parents in the room? It's something when your kids gain up on you. Right? It's like when they all come asking for the same thing, it's like, all right, all righty. I, I don't know if that's true of God, but I kind of think it might be. That we can gain outcome on him, especially when we're praying his will. Lord, we need you to show up in this area because we know that's your will because that's what heaven's like. Amen? And so when two or three come together, I think the most powerful prayers on earth, this is my opinion, as I can't defend it biblically, is between a husband and wife who come into agreement. 21 days of prayer for couples. Not everybody in here is married, so find somebody of your own gender. I don't even know how to say that anymore. <laughs> we're, we're actually going to talk about that today, somewhere along the line, um, and become a prayer partner. But if you are married, men, I'm talking to you. Lead. When I got married, I was not raised in a Christian home. I had no idea how to pray. My wife would say, let's pray, but then she would let me stumble along. She didn't criticize me. She didn't coach me. She let me learn how to lead. And she needs me to lead. We started this actually yesterday. We're going to do it for 21 days. If you can't do it 21 days, choose a week with your spouse. Let's say it works for us this night, this night, and this night. We're going to do this until we're done with the book. I'm telling you, I can tell a testimony, the fruit of Brenda and I praying together, the testimonies are unending. My children and grandchildren are some of the answers to prayer, but many others. Learning to pray together, husband and wife, coming into agreement together, there's nothing more powerful that happen in your home than if you start doing that. And it's crazy. I don't know if you know the statistics. The statistics of people staying in marriage in the church is not that much better than those who aren't in the church. But listen to this. It's like one, one in, in 2.5 marriages fail. Okay? However, listen to the statistics. If couples pray together, it's one in 1,153. Don't make it. If couples pray together. So I just declare over our house that your house will be called a house of prayer. Somebody say amen. All right. Second Chronicles 714. You guys are, you know, we have a lot of stuff going on in our world right now, and we tend to get angry. We tend to point fingers. We tend to complain about what's going on in our country, in our world. But I want you to notice what God says. He says, if my people, somebody say my people, who are called by my name. See, the opportunity to change things lands on us. If we will humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. What does God want to do? He wants to heal our land. 
What's it going to take if my people humble themselves and pray? I just made this statement up here. Prayer seeks God's face and his heart toward people and the affairs of the land and invites his power to change things. Anybody want God to change things in our nation? Then let's pray. And here's another thing I just want to quickly say, because I'm just going to make a lot of statements today. I am going to have a topic I want to hit about prayer, but I'm going to make a lot of statements here. We don't pray for victory. We pray from victory. This is the this is a key revelation that changed my life when I realized that Jesus got the victory on the cross. He defeated the powers of darkness on the cross. Now we don't pray for victory. We pray we're seated with him in heavenly places and we pray from victory. Somebody say from victory. We decree and declare the will of God on the earth. We don't we get his heart. We get close to him. We see things through his perspective and we go, oh, that's not your will, is it? Let's agree. In Jesus' name, we declare and decree. We pray for, we pray from victory. This is the statement I have. Prayer enforces the victory of the cross and defeats the powers of darkness. Take a picture of that. You're a disciple. Take a picture of that and meditate on those scriptures. I want you to, we're not here for me to do a fancy sermon to make you feel good and send you home. I want to call you into discipleship. That means what happens on Sunday is just, just to inspire you to grow the other six days a week. So you take effort by going to these scriptures and spending time. Ephesians six twelve. you're familiar with this scripture. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. How many of you know that we're in a war? Three? That four, four, that's our problem, folks. We're in wartime, not peacetime. We were born into a war. It's not over till Jesus comes. And we're in a war right now in our valley. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to practice prayer before I preach. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to stand with me. <clears throat> I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, to give you a church in the valley to pray over. Because we're not about Northgate only, we're about the kingdom of God. And how many know the other churches are part of the kingdom of God? If we want to see the valley transformed, it's not going to happen just through Northgate, Alaska. It's going to happen through the churches of the valley. Anybody in agreement? So we're a church that carries this heart for partnership with other churches. So we're going to pray for whatever the Holy Spirit church puts on your mind. So right now, ask the Holy Spirit for a church. That's not Northgate. All right. Now, I want you to find two or three people. Don't do it yet, because I'm going to give you some instructions. I want you to pray this verse over that church. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. I want you to pray that over the church the Holy Spirit just gave to you. And I want us to remember in prayer, because we're going to be learning how to pray together. And let's just let's be honest. It's uncomfortable to pray with people that you don't know very well. Sometimes it's uncomfortable praying with people that you know really well. Somebody say amen. All right. So we're learning how to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Being awkward. Embrace the awkward moments. I heard that said not that long ago. Okay, so what you're going to do, the ABCs of prayer in the gathering like this is just simply this. Number A, be audible. In other words, pray loud enough that somebody next to you can say, amen. 
I agree. Number two, be brief. Don't put somebody to sleep with your prayers. You want to let everybody else around you pray. This is, we're only going to take three or four minutes to do this, okay? And then number C, be fairly clear. Try to be clear. Try to help pray in a way that they understand what you're saying. Don't, don't throw a whole bunch of Christianese name words into it. Just say, Basila Bible, rock them with the revelation of the strength of the Lord. Amen. And let somebody else pray over theirs, okay? Ready? Go. Find some two or three people together. Thirty more seconds. All right, excellent. Good job. Fantastic. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. He hears our prayers. This last week in my uh, Bible reading, I, I went through Esther. Most of you know the story of Esther, this Jewish young lady that becomes the king, and uh, Mordecai, her cousin, who kind of raised her after her parents died, um, comes to her and, and says, when the Jewish people are threatened by a decree that the king made because of Haman influencing him, who's the enemy of God's people, um, there's a statement, and most of you know what the statement is, Esther, appeal to the king because you may not know that you're alive for such a time as this. And, and I would like to suggest, Northgate, one of the things that happened to me, even this week in my, in my prayer with the Lord, was say, Dennis, help your people, and please know you are alive for such a time as this. And church, you are alive for such a time as this. God orchestrated you to be alive in the valley, in Alaska, in the United States of America, for this moment. And so with that revelation, you go, oh, okay, I'm, I'm not an accident. you got a purpose for my life. And I, I honestly felt, you know, under this 
conviction of the Lord, and I actually wrote down my journal. I have it up here that day. It was September 28th. Actually, I was out hunting when I had was reading it. It says, Father, may I grow before you as a man of prayer and lead a church into shaping history according to your will and your power because we prayed. I want to talk today about fervent prayer. Fervent prayer is a scripture we're going to look at in Acts chapter 12 in a few minutes. And uh, uh, it says the church fervently prayed. The word fervent also in some of your Bibles says without ceasing. Um, the word actually means like an athlete reaching for the finish line with all they have. It's like, you know, that, that sprinter that's coming to the very end and they lunge for the finish line. That's the word fervent, like nothing held back. I'm all in. I was in a prayer meeting in Korea, South Korea. Some of you heard me talk about it before. And, uh, and I, you know, what does fervent prayer look like? It could look like a lot of things. Korea was changed by prayer. Dr. Cho was the, uh, one of the main pastors that shifted the course of history in Korea. And over a period of like 10 years, this church multiplied. It went from 4% Christian in South Korea to 40%. And I don't know if it's 20 years 15 years, but the main reason is because he taught their people to pray. And he taught them that when you're a new believer, you don't pray quietly. You don't pray in your mind. You haven't trained your mind well enough to, unless you pray out loud. You pray scriptures, you pray out loud, and you learn how to pray with the corporate group of people out loud. And so we're, Trevor, I think Trevor, I thought I saw Trevor. Trevor and I, I think, was in the same prayer meeting. And uh, the leader, Pastor Cho, wasn't there. He was in another nation or city ministering. And so the leader said, we're going to take 10 minutes and we're going to pray for Pastor Cho. Ready, go. And all of a sudden, there's about 6,000, 8,000 people. All of a sudden, these people, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there going, my eyes are as big as saucers. This lady is only like 5'1". She stands up on her chair next to me, and she's like, There was 6,000 people doing that for 10 minutes. And South Korea was changed by prayer, fervent prayer. Does fervent prayer have to look like that? No. Can it look like that? Yes. How many of us need to come out of our comfort zones? All of us. All of us. When we think of corporate prayer, we generally think, and, and, we, and we've experienced corporate prayer in our church, we generally think of targets like someone in a church that needs healing. Uh, sometimes it's provision. We need provision. Sometimes it's um, a family issue that needs to be resolved. And these are all legitimate prayer targets. But when you look at the book of Acts, their prayer wasn't about their needs. Their prayer was about the mission. I heard one man say, we spend so much time in the church trying to keep people out of heaven and hardly any time trying to keep people out of hell. Meaning, I'm sorry, he said, trying to keep Christians out of heaven. Like, heal them, Lord, heal them, Lord, heal them. How many know that's legitimate? We prayed for, um, uh, who? Gaul. Noah. Noah, he had an asthma attack this week. Many of you knew about it. We were fervently praying for Noah, and Noah's almost healed. And, and that's a legitimate target, but the point that he, this, I want to make this morning is that so often 
When you look at the book of Acts, it's about a mission that they're on. They're inviting God to extend the kingdom of heaven on earth, that people get saved, delivered, set free, healed, yes, but also come into the kingdom of God. And we find this, um, John Piper said this about his church a few years ago. He said, I'm starting to get concerned. He said, prayer in our church is starting to look like room service intercom rather than wartime walkie-talkie. Okay, just, just so you know, I'm, if, if I was a part of the body, if, if I tell, I'm an elbow. So go ahead, hit your neighbor in the shoulder right now. Go ahead, elbow. I'm an elbow, like I prod people, okay? So just be okay with me. That's just who I am. In Acts chapter 5, um, we find this credible story. Uh, the apostles, the power of God's being poured out through the apostles' prayers and people getting uh, ministered to, set free from demonic oppression, um, the people being healed, the gospel being preached, and multitudes are coming in. And then in Acts chapter 5, the, the priest, the high priest is angry because he's jealous that all these Jewish people are now following the apostles. And so one night, Peter's in bed, and uh, all of a sudden he hears this crash, and through the, his door comes temple guard. They drag him out of his place of sleep, out into the streets, throw him into this carriage. He, he's in this carriage, and all of a sudden he realizes, oh, there's James and John and Andrew and all 12 apostles are in this carriage. They take him to the jail and incarcerate them in a common, common cell. The incredible thing about the story is, is an angel of the Lord comes and delivers them. And the next thing you know, an angel says, Acts chapter 5, 19, go ahead and read it, put it up there. It says, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, he said, go stand and speak to the people in the temple, the whole message of this life. It's an incredible story. Go back and read it later. I'm not going to go on. But it, Peter and, and, and the group are before the magistrates and the authorities. And, and they're telling, we told you not to preach in this name. And, and I think Peter says, well, who are we supposed to obey? God or man, right? And tells them, it's this guy that you crucified, rose from the dead. He's the Messiah. And, you know, they're, they're, you know they get flogged, said, don't do it anymore. And the next day, what? They're out in the streets preaching Jesus. Somebody say preaching Jesus. And so they have this miracle story and testimony of being miraculously delivered. So let's jump over where we find this word fervent prayer in Acts chapter 5. Or 12, I mean. Look in your Bibles. I'm not having them up there. I want to train you to bring your Bibles or at least access. I want you to make sure that I'm not lying to you about what the word says. Okay? Go find it, Acts chapter 12. Because I don't have it up here. Verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. Verse 5 I do have up there. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. Somebody say, but. This is interesting the way the Holy Spirit 
led Luke to write this. Lord is making a point, a very simple point. And the question I have, and maybe you might think about or ponder is, when James was in in jail, why was not the church fervently praying? There's no mention of a prayer meeting, a night vigil, anything. And, And I would suggest that when things are going well, and God, you have a testimony that we tend to fall into presumptuous faith, not true faith. Complacency sets in when things go well. They'd already experienced the miracle of God delivering them out of jail. Oh, well, James is in jail. God's going to deliver him. Holy Spirit's making a point in writing this, these five verses. He's making a point that God needs man to call his will into being on the earth. And the tendency for us that lived in America is that we've lived in a season where we have been dulled into thinking that we're not in a war. We're not in a spiritual war. One of our most lethal enemies when it comes to prayer as a church is complacency. It's like this illusion that everything's okay, we are safe, so why get so intense about prayer? I remember when Danny Silk was here about a year and a half ago, he made this statement, and it's really, it really marked my heart. He says, when, there's, when good times come, men get weak. And when men get weak, hard times come. But when hard times come, it makes men strong. Not just men, of course, but he was making a point that we're in a season where we need to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And it's not like we haven't needed that in the past. It's just that we're now getting wakened up to it. Because in some respects in America, I'm just going to say it like I believe it to be true, the church has been asleep. And we haven't been in fervent prayer. We've been living in this place of comfort. Things have been going fairly well. And we've forgotten that our lives totally depend upon God. In Amos 6, chapter 1, the prophet says, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and to those who feel secure in the mountain of Samaria. The children of Israel had grown apathetic from the blessings of the Lord. Complacent, prosperity, and comfort deceived them into thinking everything was okay, and they quit obeying God. They lost sense of their purpose and why they were on the earth, and the sense of urgency, and they paid for it. I love this quote. Prayer is rebellion against the status quo. Say that out loud. It is refusing to come in terms with an unjust, evil world as if it were all we were meant to have. As if there was no one who could change it. Prayer remembers not only that the, wor- that the world as we find it can be changed, but it should be changed and there is one who can change it? That's a good quote. Take a picture of it and meditate on that. So here's the question. What is our enemy up to in this hour? What is our enemy up to in this hour? What would, what would inspire you 
What would inspire me to get out of our comfort zone and move into uncomfortable fervent prayer? I'm going to give you one target today. The enemy is stealing our children. The enemy is after the minds and the hearts of our kids in many different ways. Sex trafficking is one. Transgender indoctrination, abortion, drag queens in libraries, entertainment industry. Most of you know Disney has released a new series called The Little Demon about a woman who has a fling with Satan and bears his child. This is just one of several of Disney's shows that are now glorifying gay ideology and satanic rhetoric. And I want to stop for just a moment here, because sometimes when we talk about um, gender confusion and, and gay lifestyle, so forth and so on, it feels like the church is judging. The church is not judging. The church is loving those people. We love those people. Say, we love those people. Anybody that's struggling with gender confusion, we love them. We accept them. We come alongside them. We're just there for them. Church, we're there for them. But the ideology that causes confusion, we're against that. That is demonic. And it's stealing their minds, their hearts, and their futures. Much of our public education systems are inspiring transgender ideology and contributing to gender confusion. Suggesting to kindergartners and first graders that they can choose their gender is infusing confusion. Anybody that has any training in early child development knows that a six and seven year old can't be presented with this idea. Well, I know you're a boy, but you might be a girl, really. A couple in Clayton County, Georgia, Wendell Perez and his wife were rushed to school where their daughter was whisked away by a police car after attempting to hang herself at school. Listen to this. It was only until the child's second suicide attempt, the first one they never knew about, happened in the school. It was only after the child's second suicide attempt, in a matter of two days, that Perez and his wife were informed of the situation. The school was secretly transitioning the young girl to a male identity without the parent's knowledge or consent. In May of 2021, Illinois Democratic Lawmakers passed a bill that aligned the state standards with national sex education standards. Please listen. What are these standards? These standards state that kindergartners, first and second graders should be able to define gender identity, how gender role stereotypes may limit behavior, among other goals, to sexually educate our children for social change. Standards further stipulate that third, fourth, and fifth graders should be able to describe the potential role of hormone blockers on young people who identify as transgender, distinguish between sex assigned at birth and gender identity, and explain how they may or may not differ, define and explain differences between cisgender, transgender, gender non-binary, gender expansive, and gender identity, as well as define sexual orientation and more. This is third fourth and fifth graders. These are nine, 10, and 11-year-olds. I don't even know what that means. Most of those things, I, don't, I know what gender is, and I know male and female, and I know those are confused. 
The Surgical Gender Affirmation Program at Seattle, Seattle Children's Hospital. Ben and I have been there, prayed for Logan Mari when he was there many years ago with leukemia. This place that used to be a place of safety for children now treats teens with gender identity issues through complex procedures, including face and neck surgery, top surgery, breast and chest, bottom surgery, genitals, and body contouring. Now, my friends, family, I've been very careful of what I've presented because there's stuff in here that is way more... uh, perverted than what I've shared because it's too hard for me to even think about or want you to think about. This is a demonic attack on America. I don't want us uh, judging public schools. That's That's not the solution. The solution is prayer. First solution is prayer. There are other things we can do. Matt Clayton is in Thrive, a ministry called Thrive. Um, here in the valley. He's in our church. I know Rachel and, and Trevor uh, reached 907, another ministry to kids and foster children and so forth and so on. We have other ministries that we can get behind in prayer, and, but we have to learn how to pray. Yes. It's not the only thing we do, but it's the first thing we do. In our nation right now, 20 in 100 pregnancies are terminated by abortion. 20 in 100. One in five. One baby is eliminated from the room every 34 seconds. One God-given life who has a destiny and a plan from God's heart is eliminated every 34 seconds. Our own high schoolers throughout our nation are dealing with the highest level of anxiety and depression ever known. In Alaska here, we have the third highest rate of child abuse in the nation Children in Alaska are twice as likely to end up in foster care as children in the rest of the nation. Thank God for foster care. I'm sad that it's needed. There are currently over 3,200 children in our custody, in custody of the state of Alaska right now, which is a 50% increase over the last four years. What's our enemy up to? Destroying families and going after our kids. Brenda shares with me stories and calls that she gets at the school district of parents and teachers who are appalled at what their kids are exposed to. Nine-year-old, ten-year-old kids, what they're talking about. They're being sexualized by a culture. 360 Youth, this is from Matt Clayton. Let's go ahead and put that up here. You can see right here, they did statistics of Matt's Youth. The new ones are coming out. This is from 2020, surveyed 1,000 kids um, just looking at mental health. One in five considered suicide this past year. One in four feel alone in life. You can see he's after girls even more than boys. Girls tend to be more tender and sensitive at that age. Go to the next one, honey. Honey's my wife, by the way. Just clarifying. Just making sure you know. That's my honey back there. Fifty-three percent of youth in our valley are not sure that they matter in our community. Of course, we're very aware of this, and we're going after that. Amberly leads our charge in a ministry called I Am Somebody, where we want every youth to understand that in God they're creating his image. Jesus died for them. 
he has a plan for them. So, we, you know, we're active in these things. But how do you know we need spiritual invasion from heaven for breakthrough? This is happening on our watch. I'm not telling you these things to depress you. I'm telling these things to incite you, inspire you to become a house of prayer. This is not beyond hope. Say it's not beyond hope. Nothing is beyond hope with God. Nothing. Nothing is beyond hope without God, with God. God has given, listen to this quote, God has given his people, the church, not only the authority, but the responsibility to influence the affairs of mankind on the earth for his power. Is that right? Through our prayers and for his glory. You know who said that? Me. I just thought I'd get credit for something I said. Daniel Kalinda said this, as long as the enemy can keep the people of God convinced that they are powerless against the circumstances they face, their impact in the earth will be anemic. Reinhard Bonnke said this, man needs God, but God needs man. When the two come together for God's purposes, anything becomes possible. How many of you agree with that? So what are you going to do about it? Fight. <laughs> David's going to fight. How are you going to fight, David? On your knees. On your knees. Good, good answer. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but powers of darkness. It doesn't help us to demonize the administration that's in place right now. We're supposed to pray for them, right? It doesn't help for us to point our fingers at the school district. We're supposed to pray for them. It does mean that we engage in the, in the processes that are available to us, like learn who to vote for. Who you vote for matters and what happens in the future of our nation. Your vote matters. Your voice matters. It's important that you have educated yourself in why you, what you believe in. Biblical values. We're on the earth to bring values of heaven to earth. That's the apostolic mandate. On earth as it is in heaven. There are no abortions in heaven. And there are many other things on the earth that's not in heaven. So we have this invitation from heaven. Carla talked about it last week. We have this invitation. It's an invitation to make a difference. It's an invitation to become a house of prayer. I, I told you a story a few weeks ago, or a couple weeks ago. I didn't finish the story. Um, as I was taking this class on creating a culture of prayer, one of the testimonies was of a church of about 1,250 people. 1,200 people is what he said. And, uh, and the pastor become convicted by the Lord that our house can be a house of prayer. And, uh, and so he made a commitment. We're going to spend five to seven minutes every time we gather at the church on Sunday mornings. We're going to get in small groups and we're going to pray together. And uh, within about two months, the church that was 1250 or 1200 regularly attending on Sunday morning went down to 950. Within two months, that many people were uncomfortable with getting in small groups and praying together. And so he had to come to Jesus' meeting with the elders because they were not happy about shrinking the size of their church. And, and he made this statement. He says, what is more important to you, people leaving our church or staying and not changing? 
We're called to make disciples, not grow churches. Can somebody repeat that with me? We're called to make disciples, not grow churches. Jesus says, I will build my church. That's his responsibility. Our responsibility is make disciples. That's learners of Jesus. What I didn't tell you about the rest of the story is this man who had been coaching this pastor came back a year later. And that church had grown from 950 now to 2,500 in a year. He said, when I entered that auditorium, that it was, it was like electric with faith and expectation. People were engaging. Nobody was sitting watching anymore. They weren't spectating. They came to engage in a house of prayer. And the church is affecting the nations right now because they became a house of prayer. How many will join me in becoming a house of prayer? Let's become a house of prayer. And I'm not just talking about our house, but I'm talking about your house. Talking about your house. Let's make a difference on this earth. Let's invite his kingdom to come. Let's invite God to rescue children, our children, in our valley. Are you in agreement with me? So tonight we're coming back here at 6 o'clock. You know, it's really interesting how culture affects us or churches. And when I was um, a, a young parent um, and raising my children in the church, and of course, I remind you, I didn't grow up in the church, um, but I got radically saved. And I so wanted my kids to know the Lord and follow the Lord. Um, and we were at church Sunday morning and we were at church Sunday night. And we were church Wednesday night, and we had a small group on Thursday night. I'm not saying we should do all of that, but we should do more of that. I, I think we've got really used to showing up on Sunday morning. And I know some of you have to drive a long ways away, then find a group to pray. If you're in Eagle River or you're way out in Big Lake somewhere, find a group to pray. Become a house of prayer out there. Let's be intentional about this thing, okay? Would you stand with me? Can we, can we just before the Lord do something? This is between you and the Lord. It's not, it's not between you and me. It's between you and the Lord. Something that, that I have walked through with the Lord. Number one is I want to repent of my complacency. Especially as it relates to prayer. I want to repent of my complacency, my apathy, my lethargic um, attitudes about prayer. I want to ask forgiveness, Lord. And, and ask the Lord... We're in this journey, this learning together. I, I'm learning how to pray. Please, please know there's no experts in this house. We're all in a journey of learning. Agreement? We're learning. So let's just ask God, teach me how to pray. I want, just like the disciples, teach me how to pray, Jesus. And then, and then let's come into agreement. We've been assigned to advance his kingdom purposes through you. So just take a minute before the Lord. If Tanner's here, can you come up and just get on the keyboard and do a little of that Holy Spirit music you do? Thank you, Lord. Lord, inspire us. Loose the gift of faith. Loose the gift of faith in this room. We bind unbelief. I bind unbelief over this congregation that our prayers are not heard. I bind that lie. I bind that lie in Jesus' name. I pray that you would teach us, Lord, as a church and individuals and couples and families to become houses and a house of prayer.
Lord, may we shape history through our prayer lives. I invite you, Father, to inspire us, to encourage us, to convict us, to spur us on through one another. I'm thankful for the prayer that has happened in the past. I'm looking forward to where we're going in the future. 